Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. Elevate Life. So, uh, so glad that you're here. Level two. Hey, I want to invite you, if you're new, to stand on your feet. We like to start this part in the service by saying some things about us that God says about us. So put your hand on your heart. Words will be on the screen. Say this with me. I declare that I'm created in the image of God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. Yes and amen. Today, I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a big hand. Give yourselves a big hand. You can be seated. So glad that you're here. And we have people always watching from all over the world. We had people from South Africa. We've got watch parties happening. And so can we give our online audience a big hand? We love you guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, if you're within 15 miles of our church, we're not clapping for you. So I'm just kidding. If you're new, that gives you an introduction to how I communicate. Sarcastically and cynically. So I'm going to try not to do that a bunch today. Um, <laughs> But we're in a series called Game On. And what we're talking about in this series, we're talking about biblical worldview. And um, worldview is not a lot of times something we consider. This is our third week of that. First week is kind of like a prologue. What is a worldview? Why does it matter? If you're jumping into our church, or maybe this is your typical rotation of once every six weeks, then uh, what we would love for you to do is go back and watch the previous messages. Some of you missed what I just said. Um, and that's because you haven't been in church in six weeks. So... Uh, <laughs> Where was I before I made fun of everybody? <laughs> we're on, we're on uh, our third week, and we're talking about metaphysics today. And that can seem like, you know, the stuff we're talking about can seem like these highly philosophical, very high-minded concepts. Uh, but God cares about your thinking. In fact, it's the primary thing that God cares about once you become a Christian. What a lot of us think is because I'm a believer that I'm a liver. And just because you believe something doesn't mean you live any of it, and it also doesn't mean you understand it. I can believe in gravity without understanding gravity. I can believe in a lot of things without understanding them. The first thing God's trying to get to is your mind. What a lot of people will tell you is that God's trying to get to your heart, and that's true, but the Bible says that God starts with your mind. That's what Romans chapter 12 says. As God, wants us to God wants to transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about sin, and he talks about how sin dominates and controls our lives, and the only way not to sin is to give God our mind. And here's the churches, and the, there's, there's the church context that many of us have grown up in. If you're from this part of the country, or you've grown up in church, um, a lot of times in church, with all due respect, thinking goes out the window. The last thing we do is think, the first thing we do is feel. And we experience things, and we just want Jesus to help our heart. And that's true, but if, you're, if your thinking is not great, your life ain't going to be great, period. So a lot of people don't think about how they think, and so because they don't think about how they think, their life doesn't look how they want it to look, and that's not really what God wants for us, because you can be a Christian and not have a biblical worldview. You can be a Christian and tell yourself a really bad story about life, existence in the world. You can be a Christian and not see things the way that God wants to see things. All of that is possible. Just because you became a Christian does not mean you know what the Bible says about anything. Now, I'm not saying that to be cynical or critical or negative, but if the only Bible you get is the Bible you get when you show up on Sunday, you're not getting the Bible. If I call myself a Christian and I say I follow Jesus, then what that means is I know the guy. I hang out with him. If you never read scripture and read the story of Jesus for yourself, I don't know how you could call yourself a Christian because you don't even know the dude. You're taking someone's word for it. Now, again, I maybe tend to be a more strong communicator, but that's the importance of our worldview. So many of us, we don't consider the way that we see the world, the way that we see people, places, and things, and then we wonder why things don't work in our life. And it's not because you don't believe in Jesus. It's not because God's not for you. It's because you're not seeing things the way God wants you to see things. And that's ultimately where God wants us to start. And so we've been talking about that throughout this series. 
And so, uh, so as we go through this series, there's been a lot of depth that we've already explored and discovered. We did a survey in our church that I'm going to talk about the results of today. But one of the things I want to encourage you to do is to make sure that you get our notes because there's a lot of scriptural depth there. There's a lot of things probably for all of us to chew on. And uh, so you can go to our app and get notes. You can go to YouVersion and get notes. You can go to our website and get notes. You can actually uh, text our number, 972-945-9772. You can save that number in your phone as Elevate Life Church. You can text the word notes to that number, and the notes will just get texted to you. So I want to really encourage you to make sure that you get the notes that we're going through, um, because I'm going to cover a lot of ground today. I mean, today we're talking about metaphysics, which... Very few of us really ever consider. Metaphysics sounds like this really uh, crazy term. Uh, Basically, Aristotle invented this word because he wrote a book or a treatise called Physics. And then the second one he wrote was called Metaphysics. And meta just means after. So it's kind of like Physics 2.0. That's really what it connects back to. So, But metaphysics is about the nature of truth and the nature of reality and the nature of existence itself. And a lot of us, the way that we live our life is we don't really consider these things, but we all have, just like we talked about last week with epistemology, we all have metaphysics. And so I want to show you, um, there's really kind of four key questions. There's a lot that metaphysics covers, but there's four key questions that metaphysics answers, that are metaphysics answers. Number one, what is a thing? Number two, what is that thing like? Number three, where did the thing come from? Number four, does the thing have a purpose? And if so, what is it? So the way I like to um, think about metaphysics is it's like, uh, it's like a peanut butter and honey sandwich. And um, some of you have lived really unfortunate lives. You're laughing like you don't even know what I'm going to say next. So you've never had this kind of sandwich before. Some of you didn't grow up in wherever I grew up in that I had this. I grew up here in, in Dallas. I don't know if this is like a southern original thing. But uh, when I was a kid growing up, my mom would always make me a peanut butter and honey sandwich like all the time. I still make them for myself to this day. Now, the sad thing is, uh, at least for me, is that Pastor Sheila, you know, never wanted to do the white bread thing. Because some parents are like, my kids need to eat healthy, which is also a code word for when my kids eat, I want to punish them. <laughs> Wheat bread with seeds in it and all this stuff. That's what I ate growing up. It's like, this isn't even bread. I'm just eating a wheat stalk that they <laughs> compressed. So if you're going to make a peanut butter and honey sandwich, you got to have white bread. It's just how it is. Welcome to America. Some of you are like, that's not, that's not very healthy. Well, you know what? It tastes good. So that's, I'm the one doing the talk. When you do your talk on your sandwiches that you eat, then you can talk about going and getting whatever, Ezekiel, Dave's bread, all that stuff. It's horrible. Good for you. Eat whatever you want. Me and Wonder Bread are going to hang out forever. <sighs> so, so it's wonderful. Wonder Bread is wonderful. You're right. Here's the great thing about white bread. It's not even bread. In Ireland, uh, Subway, they're not allowed to categorize their white bread as bread because of the sugar content. So basically, when you eat a Subway sandwich with white bread, you're eating cake with meat in it. It's delicious. <laughs> so, Back to metaphysics. Metaphysics is kind of like making a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Now, the way you make a peanut butter and honey sandwich, number one, what is the thing, is the question of metaphysics. So obviously, the thing is a peanut butter and honey sandwich, but uh, it's more than just, you can't just say sandwich, because sandwich is uh, a lot of parts mixed together. Now, for some of you, that's kind of a lot of peanut butter. Well, you never had the right kind of peaut butter sandwich, because like you just gotta, gotta do this thing all the way it's not like halfway with this. Like one time I was serving at a, actually a food pantry. I'm just going to do this how I do it at home. So <laughs> like, that's not very civilized. You're right. I'm not. <laughs> so I was serving at a food pantry and uh, the lady that was helping us, we were making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which is what most of us are used to. Uh, she was like, when you, when you do this, you put as much peanut butter as you can, and as much jelly as you can. I'm like, say less. <laughs> so... <laughs> so what you do in my house when you make a peanut butter and honey sandwich is you put the, the peanut butter on one side of the bread and you take the honey and you put it on that side of the bread because when you mix the honey and the, I was like, yeah, I wasn't enough. So when you mix the honey and the peanut butter together, it makes this other thing, right? It's a different, 
it's a see like how the texture changes because it all gets mixed in there, the oils and the sugar and the whole deal. But then you don't stop. There were a lot of people that say, like, oh, they got, I got that. Then I put this old dry bread on top of that. No, like you got to use the honey some more. <laughs> so you take the honey and you cover the bread. Just you got to make sure. When I eat with Pastor Keith, by the way, one of the things he does when he orders sandwiches, he says, I want mayonnaise on both sides of the bread. We lubricate our sandwiches <laughs> in my house. So when Pastor Sheila make me sandwiches growing up. We ain't got no dry bread. We ain't got one piece of the bread that's got a little dry side on it. That's not how it works. So you make the sandwich and then you take a bite of the sandwich, right? I have my microphone because I'm eating this for real. This isn't fake. <laughs> then it's not a peanut butter and honey sandwich unless you drink milk because the way that milk tastes changes when you eat it with peanut butter. I don't know. The milk is the thing you should always have when you're eating peanut butter. And why did I decide to eat peanut butter while I'm speaking? Great question. Oh, I'm going to work through it. So, peanut butter and honey. That's what metaphysics is like, because the first question we ask is, what is a thing? Well, it's a peanut butter and honey sandwich, but it's more than that. Because honey's its own thing, peanut butter is its own thing, bread's its own thing. So it makes something different. But its base components are peanut butter, honey, and bread. And then milk, too. Delicious as well. Second thing is, second question is, what is that thing like? Heaven on earth. What do you mean? <laughs> Especially with the white bread. I'm trying to eat dessert and a meal at the same time. And, you know, in America, number two ingredient, peanut butter, sugar. So... I'm here for it. Some of y'all eat that natural stuff. You got to put it upside down. Disgusting. <laughs> Man, this guy is very unhealthy talking to me. No, I'm just living life and I'm enjoying every moment of it. <laughs> so third question, where did the thing come from? Where the peanut butter and honey sandwich came from is bread, peanut butter, and honey. So bread, there's not just, just in case you didn't know. There's not like a bread plant somewhere that we have. There's flour. When we make bread, mix flour and water and yeast together, and then it rises, and then we heat it up, and it makes bread. And we have peanut butter. Thank God for George Washington Carver, man. Like, you want to talk about all-time great scientists or whatever he was in the history of the world? Without peanut butter, I don't know if I'd be enjoying my life at all. It's a gift from God. Some of you are like, man, this isn't very spiritual. God gave you your tongue for a reason to taste really good stuff. <laughs> so, so thank God for peanut butter. Someone figured out when you mix peanuts and salt together and you mix them up a lot, it makes a different thing that's way better than peanuts because for, for most of us, peanuts are the trash nut. It's like, that's the cheapest nut I can get, so I guess that's the one I'll eat. Like when you get the trail mix, it's always mostly peanuts and it's always disappointing. It's like opening a pack of Starbursts and they got like three pink ones in the whole thing and the rest are yellow. Like what's wrong with these people? <laughs> Thank you for being on this journey with me because you're like, what's wrong with these people that they only put the ones in here that nobody likes? You open the Sour Patch, it's all yellows. No blues. Where's the blues at? I don't know. Where's the green Skittles? I don't know. They think that the world likes red ones. Nobody really does. Anyway. So then honey, we know honey comes from bees. So uh, the third question, or the fourth question is, does the thing have a purpose? And if so, what is it? Yes, it does have a purpose to help me live my best life. That's why a peanut butter and honey sandwich exists. So when we go through that exercise, and that's me being a little bit silly, but when we go through that exercise, we're practicing metaphysics. Because we're thinking about what is this thing? What are the components of this thing? How is it made up? What's the reason for this thing? And so think about this. What, at what point does wheat and water mixed together become bread? Because we wouldn't say that bread and wheat are the same thing. We wouldn't say that wheat and water are the same thing or that bread and water are the same thing. But so questions of like metaphysics, what are things made of, um, kind of lead us to this kind of journey of discovery as it relates to, okay, these are things that are put together 
that when all combine, they make a completely different thing. At what point do peanuts uh, become peanut butter? What point does it shift into being a completely different thing? Um, and then at what point do bees transform pollen and flowers into honey? At what point does this totally different thing, totally different process begin to happen? So all of these ingredients are different and they're separate, but they come together to make something and they also come together to make something that's different and separate than all of them. And that's really what metaphysics explores. Metaphysics explores not just how we make the sandwich, it's how peanut butter and honey and bread come together to make a sandwich, but it's also how the, the elements of peanut butter itself and bread itself and honey itself come together to make a sandwich. So um, metaphysics is all about how we define our existence, our reality, and truth itself. So it's a very deep concept. There's a lot of elements to metaphysics. I'm not up here today to give you a college lecture. I just wanna paint the picture. So think about this. Are peanut butter, honey, and bread separately the same thing as a sandwich? No, they're not. They're not separately the same. So then think about your own life. What makes you you? Are you the same that you were when you were a child? If not, how can you not be you? So I'm not the same as I would when I, you know, all of us probably in this room, unless we're currently 10 years old, would not say I'm the same as I was when I was 10 years old. But we're also still, in many ways, the same us that we've always been. But if you ran into your friends from high school today, they would probably say, wow, you're a lot different than I remember you being. Hopefully you're better. If so, if there's a way for you to not be the same you, how can you experience different things but still think that you're the same person? So I know that's like, wow, we're going in a lot of circles logically, but that's how metaphysics works. Is, and we're always, we're always living life in some kind of metaphysical way. We're always in some way trying to contextualize our existence. We're trying to contextualize the reality that we live in. And whether we realize it or not, we're definitely talking about truth. And so the stuff I want to explore today is really two main concepts of metaphysics. Number one is reality and number two is truth. And we'll talk, we'll talk about that. But like I said before, we did this a survey kind of through our church and we asked these questions based on a biblical worldview because we want to have God's perspective on metaphysics. We want to have God's perspective on existence, reality, and truth. We want to have that. If you call yourself a Christian, if you want to be a Christian, if you think that God has designed for you and I the best way to live, then we should also want to have God's perspective on things. And it's really easy for us to not have that. It's really easy for us to go into uh, a Christian context, bringing the same stuff with us and think that, oh, well now just God agrees with all these things because now I'm a Christian. The Bible talks about uh, in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So in many ways, you're still you, but hopefully when you get introduced to Jesus, who you are becomes radically different based on not just your believing in him, but you're deciding to apply the Bible to your life. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. When we do baptism, here's the reason why baptism is so important in the context of church. Because baptism represents the death of your old self and the coming to life of your new self in Jesus, that you're gonna be like him. That's what it represents. So hopefully that happens in our life. Well, the truth is if we're not careful about our thinking, which most people aren't, me included, if we're not careful about our thinking, we just bring the same us into the new thing and we think that, oh, well, I'm a new thing, but I have the same mentalities. I have the same approach to life. I have the same unforgiveness in my life. I have the same drama, same issues. Some of you, you got, you got saved like recently, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you got the same problems now that you had back then. That's not because God didn't fix anything. That's because you didn't allow God to fix your thinking. So God's after your mind. God's after your mind, and then if he gets your mind, then he gets the rest of you. Because what you think about is the, th is the place that you go in life. And like I said, and like I'm going to continue to say throughout this series, it's possible to be a Christian and not have a biblical worldview. How are we defining worldview in this series? The story that you tell yourself about life. It's possible to be a Christian and be telling yourself the wrong story. Because God wants you to believe in him. Jesus died on a cross so you and I could go to heaven. Absolutely. But also he wants us to live a really great life. And just because you believe in Jesus and just because you, you consider yourself going to heaven doesn't mean that your life's going to go all that great. Your life going great is dependent upon your worldview. So 
metaphysics. First question that we asked um, in, our, in our survey that we asked to the church is how can we know that what exists is real? So we set a high score, which is great. 85% of us got the right answer. So give yourselves a hand. Way to go. So about 15% of us said we can know what's real through our sensory and physical processes. 85% of us says there's the physical and the intangible that I experience, or physical and the tangible that I experience, and there's something beyond the physical that I perceive differently. If we have a biblical worldview, then we know that there's a, there's a spirit part to what we do. There's an unseen world or realm, and it's not like a fantasy. We're not talking about stranger things and the upside down. But what we're talking about is there's a world that God lives in. There's a place called heaven and hell. And these places are maybe physical places. No one that we know of has ever visited there and then come back and said, hey, here's how you get to heaven and here's how you get to hell outside of a spiritual context. I can't give you a map to heaven. I can't give you a map to hell, but we know these places exist if we follow Jesus, if we, if we have a biblical worldview. So the Bible talks about the spiritual world and us being spiritual a lot. In Ephesians chapter six, the Bible tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood enemies. So our battle is not ever with the present and the seen world. Our battle is with evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in the dark world and evil spirits in heavenly places. Now that seems like a little bit wild and crazy, but the Bible is filled with spiritual context. And a lot of us, we don't consider our spirituality probably enough. We're practical people. We think practically. We think the only thing that exists for me, 15% of us in this church, think that, think that what's real is what I can sense and feel all the time physically in my life. 85% of us know there's something spiritual. In Ephesians, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. In Genesis, the Bible says that God, God has created us in his image. Now, your physical body is made from dirt. Adam's physical body was made from dirt. So your physical body is not necessarily God's image because we all also look really different. And it's not like God has 8 billion plus faces or 8 billion plus physical bodies. But God has a spirit that he breathed the breath of life into us and gave us a spirit, which is our animating force that drives us in life. That's the thing that's created in God's image. So how can I know this? How can I know this to be true? The way I can know it to be true is like I referenced Ecclesiastes chapter three. The way I can know it to be true is because the Bible tells me that God has placed eternity in my heart. Now that's an interesting thought, but think about yourself for a minute. All of us in this room, one of the things that we do that we think is very normal and very natural for humans is we pursue purpose and meaning. Now purpose and meaning are interesting things to pursue because it's not like you can just lay hold of it and grab, a, grab it. It's not like if you do enough stuff, you're going to be able to hold on to purpose and meaning like it's a real thing that you just have. It's not physical. Purpose and meaning is not a physical thing, but there's something in us from the day that we're born, as far as we can tell, that looks beyond our present understanding of things and has us pursue something more than we know. You know, your dog that lives in your house is not looking for purpose. One of the reasons why your dog is so happy is because they don't feel unfulfilled every day. <laughs> they don't go to you and say, hey, I'm really not in my best and highest use here in this house. <laughs> You're really not using me how I'm meant to be used. I need to operate in my calling. And my calling is to be a bird. <laughs> That's not what dogs do. Dogs are just dogs and pretty much what they do is they be a dog. But for, for a human being, those of us who are like sentient, for a human being, there's something that, that is within us that, that looks beyond our present experience and wonders why and believes for more. Why do things exist? Why are we here? The ability to look beyond ourselves is a uniquely human thing. Like we're singing these songs, God, we believe for it. We don't see it, but we believe for it. Like other animals and species on the planet do not do that. It's like a deer is like, God, I believe that there's not going to be a hunter out there. They just live life as a deer and, oh, there's a hunter. I had no idea those existed. But it's as if as a human, we intuitively know that our individual selves are not enough and that this life that we experience is not enough. So what people do, world religions, all of the things that we pursue are kind of based in us pursuing 
personal purpose and personal meaning. And that shows us that there's something beyond the physical that we perceive differently. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So there's something within us, within us that kind of that, that gives us the pursuit for more. Now, um, a place where we didn't set a high score, set kind of a low score, is how can we know God is real? Three, there's four answers to this question. We can know by nature. We, can know, we can't know if he's real. We just have to believe. We can know because we've experienced something spiritual or some other way. Uh, 58% of us as a church believe that the way we know God is real is by experiencing spiritual things. That's fine, but that's not biblical. In almost every major world religion, people have spiritual experiences. If you don't have a spiritual experience today, go find someone that can help you take some LSD. You'll have an amazing spiritual experience. Go sit in a tent and take some ayahuasca, and then you'll be like, wow, this is amazing. There's a spirit world. This, is, this, shows, us, this shows to me, at least, the immaturity of Christians that Christians think that God is real because they have some kind of spiritual thing that happens to them, and therefore that proves that God is real. And here's what those same people do. As soon as those experiences stop happening, God's not real anymore. This is the kind of thought process that leads to people saying, you know, we're not going to go to that church anymore because we just don't feel God there. I don't feel led to do that. This is these kind of people. Now, we know a lot of these people because as a church, 58% of us are that way that the, the main criteria that we need to have in order to know God, in order to have a relationship with him is some kind of spiritual thing that happens. And the Bible actually talks about this. Paul says, I wish I could get you off the milk and onto the meat. And a lot of us in this room, we're mature. We call ourselves mature spiritual Christians. We don't eat the sandwich. We just want to drink the milk. I'm like, God, I just want to cry and worship. That's when I need a good cry with you right now. God, let your Holy Spirit just handle all of this and speak to me. It's like, yeah, you're a bad parent. You got to fix your parenting. No, I just need the Holy Ghost. You need that. You also need to listen to him. Now, I'm not saying that to be critical and negative or to say that spiritual things don't matter. They absolutely do. But if my criteria for God existing is me feeling spiritual things, I have a very low level of understanding of reality. Because what I always need is to feel something. This is the way to destroy your marriage. This is the way to not experience fulfillment. Is to always need to feel something. Right? It's like, well, I'll love them if I feel like loving them. I'll do this if I feel like doing it. This is the most basic low-level, immature human instinct that we have to be led by our feelings. But this is, the, this is the way that Christians approach or people approach their relationship with God. The way I know God is real and working in my life is if I feel spiritual. The book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, says, Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. You don't need to come to church to know God. You don't need to get the Holy Ghost to know God. You just need to look at a tree. You'd be like, God exists. Now, some people will tell you that that's not true. Biochemists and biologists, to this day, they say that all life, all life on this planet, uh, not just human life, but like trees and plants and all of that. They have what's called irreducible complexity. That the more you zoom in and look at the structures of a living thing, the more complex it gets. It never becomes simple. When we look at a cell, cells are complex. When we look at atoms, atoms are complex. When we look at protons and neurons and electrons, those things are complex. As a human, if you create something yourself, it can be broken down to its most simple parts. Just like this sandwich. I created this sandwich myself. It's a very easy thing to understand that the bread and the honey and the peanut butter all go together. Now, if I tried to explain to you the complexity of honey, it's like, wow, that's a complicated thing, how honey gets made. Peanuts themselves, it's like, wow, that's, you know, the things go in the ground and they grow and then they become whatever they become. We can make this, but God's got to make the wheat. 
We can make this, but God's got to make the peanuts. We can make this, but God's got to use bees to make the honey. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the skies display his craftsmanship. You know what you need to do in order to believe that God is real is just live your life. Experience the irreducible complexity of the miracle of the world that we're in, and then you will see that God is real. Because a lot of these things that, are, that exist in our world are not things that we can understand or create. There is so much about the human body that we still don't understand to this day. And so on the non-God side, it's very hard to explain a lot of things that are in nature. That shows us that there's probably something or someone who's smarter than us that put all this stuff in place. On the, on the Christian side, we have the same approach, it's just different. The different approach is, I don't need, I'll just turn my brain off and I'll just do things that I feel in the church. So I won't serve because I don't feel like serving. I won't do this because I, I don't feel like doing this. I, I don't, I don't want to go to church because I don't feel like going to church today. So it's only real for me if I feel it and if I experience it. But God's more than that, right? So we know that. And well, we should know that. Now, does our knowledge lead to the right answer? Not necessarily, because as Christians, we know that God exists because we've experienced something spiritual. And what happens, like I said, as soon as we stop experiencing something spiritual, oh man, God's not in this anymore. It's kind of like when you get married, it's like this is the best day of your marriage that you've ever had. It's like you stop feeling as much. You're like, man, this is, this is a mess. This is horrible. It's like the first day at your job. It's like, oh, I love working at this place. Two years later, man, this is awful. I'm not experiencing anything that I was when I first came on staff here. So we're led by that. It's a human thing. I'm not saying that's, that to be critical or negative or anything. That's human to do that. So then what we do is we bring that into our God context and we think, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. So what all Jesus wants me to do is he just wants me to feel spiritual. He just wants me to have these really great moments that are just God moments all the time. And he wants us to have those, but also he wants us to have some realities that we live in. So how can we know that something is real, right? I mentioned it a second ago about what God says, that you can see things in nature that prove the existence of God. So how can we know that something is real? We know something is real because it exists and it has substance. It's like this table, you know it's real because you can see the physical space of the table. Like I'm touching the table, it's not a hologram, it's, very, it's proof that it's real. We know it exists and has substance. So in the context of God, how can we know God is real? Because the things that he's created have, have exist and they have substance and those point back to him. To be real, the, the next thing, Something that is real doesn't require proof. So to be real is to exist without the need to prove your existence. If it's real, then it's real. If it's not, then it's not. So like this table, this plate, this, this uh, glass, and have to come out to you and give you a bunch of data about whether or not you can see clearly that this is real. So what we do, and again, let me come at it from this, this different angle. What we do is we go, God, I'll believe that it's real if I have all these data points. Or I'll believe God is real if God comes down and he speaks to me face to face. Because that's, that's what's going to, you know, the thing about God being real is he doesn't have to prove anything to you about that. Right? So we can see his, his invisible nature and his qualities are clearly seen through nature. But if something is real, it requires no proof. You as a human being, you're real because you exist. If you weren't real, then you wouldn't exist. If you didn't exist, you wouldn't be real. Now that's not meant to be confusing or, or whatever. But that shows us in life, what's not real is your perspective on things you experience. Those are feelings. So if I base my reality in how I feel, what I'm doing is I live in a world that is not reality. So my experiences, if, if the thing that determines what's real to me is what I experience, then I don't live in the real world with everyone else. I live in some kind of virtual existence that I can just contextualize my experiences a certain way. And we come to God and we're, we can tend to be the same way. So uh, next question, what is truth? Now another high score, 83% of us answered this question the right way. And I think it's because we telegraphed the answer and there's nothing wrong with an easy question and an easy answer. I'm not trying to stump anybody. 
So 83% of us said the right answer, which is truth is absolute and based on the Bible, Jesus is the fundamental and perfect example of the life human beings should live. Some of us said truth is subjective based on the person. Some of us said all morality, truth, and ethics are innate to human beings. Now, biblically, so we just talked about reality. How do I know something is real? I know something is real uh, because it has substance and it exists. I also know something is real because it doesn't require proof, it just is. So truth is different than reality. So John chapter 14, verse six, the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now I'm explaining a thought process that most of us in this room hold already, because like I said, 83% of us believe that the Bible represents absolute truth. So 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do every good work. So think about this. Is there a difference between something being true and something being real? Yes. <laughs> Truth requires facts that can be verified. So if I say this sandwich tastes delicious, you would have to verify that that's true by tasting it yourself. And you might have some kind of problem with white bread or honey, and so you're not to be trusted. <laughs> Your facts are wrong. If, we'll get to that in a second. If, uh, if, I, if I tell you that it's raining outside, you can go outside for yourself and verify that water is falling from the sky and it's not from a water hose. You can verify that. So truth requires facts that can be verified. What, what a lot of people do is they think that everything is factual and they practice what's called syncretism. So syncretism is basically the saying that everything is true. All, all roads lead to Jesus, all religions, we all get to heaven. That's called syncretism. Now the thing about that is that if everything is true, then nothing is. The reason why is because of the second thing about truth, and that's that truth is confirmed by facts. So the reason why syncretism or everything being true can't ever be true is because it can't be raining and not raining in the same exact spot at the same exact time. It's impossible. It's one or the other. That's how truth works. And so we live in a culture though, the reason why I'm saying this is so important is because we live in a culture that truth is now subjective. So now everything's true. Whatever you want to believe is true. Because if you believe it, then it's true. If you believe this about yourself, if you believe this about the world, if you believe this about society, then it's true because what's true to you is true. It's called syncretism. Everything is true. And if everything is true, then nothing is. So 60% of people, according to a recent survey, 60% of people, at least in America, believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I think it's really great that we answered this question this way, that 83% of us said truth is absolute, but in, in the greater culture that we live in, 54% of Christians believe that truth is subjective, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Why is this so important? Because what you consider to be true will determine what you consider to be real and vice versa. For instance, if you consider it to be true based on your experiences uh, in your life that all men are mean and manipulative, then what you consider to be real is that all men are mean and manipulative. If I go through life and I think to myself, and again, we could talk about these kind of things all day. This is not the topic of this series, but these are hot button issues. If I go through, and they, they, they're not biblically, but they are culturally. If I say to myself, well, God uh, is okay with same-sex marriage, and because I, I consider same-sex marriage to be my truth, but it's not based on the absolute truth of the word of God, it's just subjective truth, so therefore what's real to me is this. If I say to myself, well, you know, God doesn't establish biological gender, and I don't think, I don't think biological gender is true according to the facts or whatever that I see, then what's not real to me is biological gender. Now that can be a scary place to live because what we end up doing is we end up just basing truth on this last question, which is experiences. So yes, something can be real. Something can really happen. Something can really happen to you and to me. Now something real and something true are different. Truth is based on fact. Something being real is based on experience. So I can have an experience with something and I can turn that into truth if I'm not careful. 
So it's interesting to me as a church that we would answer these questions uh, differently because they probably they, they should be more in concert with each other, but they're not. But the thing is, we know that the Bible is absolutely true. Now, do we live according to that? Not really. Because a lot of us live with unforgiveness. And the Bible says, Jesus says to forgive. But we don't feel like we should have to because of our experience. And so what's true for me is that I shouldn't have to forgive this person. That's not biblical. That's you and that's okay. But if I'm going to have a biblical worldview, then what I have to choose to do is to be like Jesus. So John chapter 14, verse 6, and it's the answer in here, is that Jesus is the fundamental and perfect example of how all human beings should live. Jesus said to get rid of the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in someone else's eye. If you live your life victimized, you never have to take responsibility for anything. This is, this is what people do. They're victims of stuff. And so Jesus is not talking about that. So like, and again, none of us in this room would probably consider ourselves victims, but if you're a conservative and we have a, a liberal government in place, you could feel victimized by the government. You might, not, you might not say you're a victim, but you use victim language. So I go, well, I don't have to take responsibility for myself because it's the freaking government's problem. Now I'm not saying do or don't, liberal, conservative, whatever. What I'm saying is, is that just because you and I have this experience doesn't make it true. And here's what Jesus is talking about. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, what, it, what that represents for us, Jesus never gives us permission in scripture to criticize uh, society. Like, yes, we should fight for a more moral and just and Christian society in the world that we live in, but here's what Jesus is talking about. You as an individual person, it's very easy to criticize the state of the world without having our own house in order. So this person's this way, that person's that way, this person's a sinner, that person's over here doing this, and that's all, these are all the problems that I have. These are all the problems that exist in the world today, and that's why everything's falling apart. It's like, no, you're a mess. Jesus is trying to deal with your mess. And the more you and I walk with God, the easier it is to become a Pharisee. Where what we're doing is we're criticizing everybody else's state and thinking that because we got a bunch of spiritual experiences happening in our life and God is real for us, then now we're like the truth bringers to society. And yes, we should be people that take a stand. We should be people that take a stand on what the Bible has to say about things, but take a stand in your own life first. That's what Jesus is talking about. So here's what people wanna talk about. A bunch of, and, and again, I'm not saying this to be mean, I'm not saying this to be critical and negative. A bunch of people who do not respect the sanctity of marriage wanna talk about the sanctity of marriage. So you got all these people walking around, divorced, they haven't respected their own sanctity of marriage. They're like, we shouldn't allow gay people to get married. Now that's fine, right, based on the Bible, but you're not basing your own experience with marriage on the Bible. So until you deal with yourself, why are you even worrying about someone else out here? That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. Now that doesn't mean that we don't talk about society. That's not what it means. What it means is, is that if we believe that Jesus is the fundamental, perfect example of how human beings should be, that's how we should live. So we should apply scripture to our life the way Jesus applied scripture to our life. We should approach other people's sin the way that Jesus approached other people's sin, which in the Bible, there's a story about the woman who was caught in adultery that Jesus said, hey, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus was not the first guy to sling a rock at her head. Now us, our tendency, when we look at other people's sin, no matter what it is, when we look at other people's sin, a human tendency is to say, you know what? Like, I'm gonna just kill that person. Like maybe not physically, but I'm gonna knock that person out. And Jesus is like, just why? That's not what he did. Now Jesus sits in judgment of everybody, but that doesn't give us permission to sit in judgment of everybody. And that's a hard truth. But here's the thing, you got a problem with people in politics, run for office, go for it, 100%. Nothing wrong with it. Vote your values, all that different kind of stuff, but don't sit on the sidelines and criticize everybody. Like you got a problem with all this stuff in society, get involved in it. Bring Jesus to that situation, but also deal with yourself. 
And that's like, well, I, you know, I didn't come to church for all this. I know. <laughs> so if I think that, that, the, that Scripture represents absolute truth to me, that's where I should start. Prime example of this is how people want at one time, and some people currently believe that the earth was flat. So they would go out, and this was before a lot of science and ways to measure that we have today. They would go out and they would view an endless horizon, and it would, they would, it would seem like a flat line. And because they could see a flat line for the, for the horizon and it just never ended, that meant to observers that their world was flat. And so people believed, based on their truth, that the world was flat. It's a partial truth. Yes, the horizon is endless. That doesn't mean the world is flat, based on what we know today. But a lot of us live life and we operate with partial truth. So here's a partial truth. A partial truth is that God created male and female. That's absolutely partially true biblically. I mean, it's all the way true biblically. But the other part of that is that G the Bible talks about how Jesus came in grace and he came in truth. And so the full, complete version of truth is, yes, there's all this truth. But also, are we handling the truth in a graceful way? So on and on I could go. Last slide. How can we know that something is true? Now, great, 63% of us answered if scripture teaches it or Jesus lived it. The, 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 the hard thing is about 18% of us answered if it has been supported by research and data. We talked about faith last week, but close to 20% of our church says I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when everything's, when everything's documented for me. So we know that truth, I mean, scripture teaches it or Jesus lived it. And the approach to truth will determine your reality. So in life, here's what, here's what we do. We're like, God, I want to have a certain kind of life and I want to be fulfilled. And this is metaphysics. This is a question of metaphysics, the nature of reality and truth and existence. God, I want to have a certain kind of life. And then the question we got to answer is, am I going to do things your way? Am I going to see the world? Am I going to see life your way? Because here's what I know. If I believe in the truth of scripture, like the whole scripture, and I take what, what pastors call the whole counsel of scripture, then what I do is I, I trust God with the world. I trust God with other people. I don't spend my time thinking about all the things that bother me about the state of society. Why? Because he's got the whole world in his hands. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to have a biblical worldview. Let me, let, me, let me just, the things you're the most frustrated by, the things you're the most angry about, the things that are the most difficult for you are things that you have no control over. You wouldn't be frustrated about it if you could control it. So then you think about, well, my frustration is senseless. It makes zero sense. Absolutely, it does. So don't be frustrated about it. Don't be frustrated about the world. And, you know, if you could control gas prices, you control them. But you can't. So just go along for the ride. Screaming and fighting and cussing about it doesn't do nothing for you, except for just add to the anger that you already feel. All these people out here living immoral lives and doing this and the world's falling apart. It's like, yeah, it is. And you know what? It's, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen anyway. You can get involved, but you can only get so involved. So maybe we should get to this point where we trust God with the world. We trust God with our kids. We trust God with the, work, with the state of affairs. We trust God with the government. We trust God with all the people we follow on Instagram. We trust God with people on Facebook that we feel like we should go fight. So, so if we believe this, right? If I believe that knowing something is true is if scripture teaches it and Jesus lived it, and if I think that absolute truth is demonstrated by scripture and that Jesus represents the perfect way to live a life, which 83% of us believe, then why is that so hard for us? Because it's just a, there's a wrestling that happens. Like again, God is trying to get to your thinking. So you have to allow, you have to put yourself in a position where you, you and I have to finally get to this place where we humble ourselves and go, God, you know what? I'm not the most moral person on the earth. So maybe I'm not the one who should be judging stuff. Like, I'm not the one who's got it all figured out, so maybe I shouldn't be critiquing all these different things about whatever in the world. 
Yes, there's a lot of people that operate with subjective truth, whatever. God's not talking to them today. He's talking to you and me. He's like, what are you going to do about my absolute truth? Here's what you can know. There's a lot that I don't know about the world. There's a lot that I don't know about society. There's a lot that I don't know about what God's going to do and what he's not going to do. What I do know is that if in scripture, it's absolutely true and it absolutely works. It's what I know. It's what I can know for sure. There's a lot of other things I don't know for sure. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if the world's coming into an end. I don't know if it's Armageddon. I don't know if it's pre-trib or post-trib. I don't know any of that stuff. What I know is that God has asked me, or that I've decided, first of all, I know that I've decided that Scripture teaches it, Jesus lived it, that's what I should do. That's all I know. And that's all I can be 100% confident in. I can't be confident in my experiences. I can't be confident in how I feel today about whether or not God showed up. I can't be confident in whether or not another person is gonna be moral. I can't be confident in any of that. What I can be confident in is what I look at and then what I decide to do based on what I know about what God wants me to do. So if you, you and I wanna have a biblical worldview, coming to church is not gonna give you that. So we wanna be Christians, we wanna follow Jesus, all that stuff, and then the, the last time we looked at a Bible was when we Googled something related to the Bible. If I want to follow Jesus, i got to open up the Word for myself and walk through the Word of God and allow the Word of God to like wash my mind and change how I think about things. God wants to do that. Why? Not because God's trying to correct us or God's trying to be cynical with us. If you feel attacked by me or targeted by me, I don't know you personally. This is just how I talk. God's going to be way sweeter with you than I'm being. But here's the, here's the thing. God wants to set you up. Why is all of this so important? Why is a biblical worldview so important? Because God wants you to win in life. God wants you to have a great life. God wants you to be fulfilled. God didn't want you to walk around frustrated and angry and mad at everybody and unforgiving and all of that. God wants you to win in life. And so in order to do that, we have to decide to take on God's view and not, again, ask God to take on our view. God, judge this person. What? You just do you. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do with that person, and there's nothing you can change about it. I think that's God's approach with me. It's like, God, here's what I need you to do with this person over here. It's like, who are you? Why don't you tell me anything? You don't even know how your own brain works. <laughs> like, you can't even look at a tree and know I exist. What are you talking about? So we have, to approach, we have to approach God and understand again, this is like one of, the, one of the guiding scriptures for this series, is that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways and God's thoughts higher than our ways and our thoughts. What that means is that existence is not gonna look how you and I want it to look. Reality is not gonna look like you and I want it to look. And truth is not always gonna look like you and I want it to look. It's gonna look how God wants it to look. And we can rant and rave and beat our heads against that as much as we want to. Or we can just say to ourselves, God, you know, I need to do a really great job of controlling myself. And I need to do a really great job of submitting myself to the truth of your word. I need to do a really great job of pursuing living like Jesus if I call myself a Christian. That's where you and I should be the most convicted. Because the state of the world, like if we want to talk about the state of the world, the majority of Americans for a very long time have been Christian and we're complaining about something that we created. It's like, it's like, it's like you having a problem with how your kids are. I'm tired of how y'all are. It's like, well, you, you did all this. You taught us how to be this way. So this, this, it's like we're all mad about it, but then it's like, well, you know, we all kind of made this happen with the way that we were. So maybe we should just start by stop, we should start by stopping focusing on everything else. We should just focus on us. And then let God be God. God is real. And if God is real, then you can trust him with things. And even if you can't trust him, there's nothing you can do about it anyway, the things you don't trust him with. So it just makes no sense. So God is real and his word is true. Live according to that and everything else will fall into place. So some of us in this place, we're, we're, we're wrestling with a couple things, and maybe the first thing is, is that you're not living like Jesus wants you to live. 
and you're not applying scripture to your life. And I encourage you, the Bible is not a textbook. The Bible is not something that is boring. You can start in the book of John and read through the New Testament. And I promise you, 100% guarantee, not based on me, based on what God wants to do, that if you read his word, it will absolutely change your approach to your whole life. If you decide to get into the Bible, and I would say start in the book of John and read through the whole New Testament, you will start to experience a life that God designed for you to live. The second thing is there are those of us in this room that we just haven't given our lives to Jesus. What it means to give Jesus your life is, yes, to believe in him, but to choose to follow him and to say, God, I'm going to, you know, Jesus, I'm going to live like you. I'm going to understand what it means to live like you. What we have to do, the place that that starts is it starts with believing. It starts with believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, no one gets to the Father except through me. You cannot have a relationship with God without letting Jesus be Lord of your life. And for some of you, it's not even about anything I said today. It's not about anything I've communicated. It's just God's been dealing with you in this season of your life, or he's been dealing with you today, saying, hey, now's the time for you to give me your whole life. Let go of the things you've been holding on to. Let go of all your justifications and just let me be in charge of everything and listen to me and submit yourself to me. So what I want everyone to do that can hear my voice is just to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Because God's just been dealing with you and we're just gonna pray a prayer. So everyone that can hear my voice, say this with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. From this day forward, I repent of my way and I give you my life. In your name I pray, amen. Let's give those people that made that decision a big hand. Good news, it's so wonderful. God's not mad at you. God's not trying to condemn anybody in this room. God's just trying to set you free. Bad news, now it's gonna be hard. You're gonna have to deal with some truths, some hard truths about your life that God wants you to understand. The book of Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man and at the end that way is death. God doesn't need our humanity. God's not trying to get us to be the same that we've always been. God's trying to get us to be new. And it starts now. It starts now that if you've decided to give your life to Jesus, you, have to, you and I have to commit to being that new creation. And that means sometimes giving him parts of our life that we really hold sacred that aren't sacred to him. Some of us in this room, like, we struggle. We might, we, we might struggle with, with uh, being, being attracted to same-sex relationships. And we might want to live in a world where that's okay. Biblically, that's not the way God wants you to live. That's not how God designed it. There might be people in this room that you struggle with your relationship to pornography and temptation. That's no different. God wants you to give him your thinking and your life. You might be a person in this room, you struggle with anger struggle with depression, struggle with disappointment, struggle with envy, you struggle with jealousy, struggle with being a victim all the time. That's not how God wants you to live. And the truth is there's so many parts of us that are bad. I said this last week. For, for humans, and I don't know why this is, and I can't explain it to you, for human beings, for sometimes a known bad outcome is better than an unknown outcome. God's inviting you to let go of your known bad outcome so that you can embrace the unknown greatness that he has for you. But we've gotta be willing to let go of our known bad stuff. I mean, I think all of us know that our way doesn't work, but then we hold on to our way like it's sacred. God's like, hey, come on, man. You know that doesn't work. It didn't work the last time, it didn't work the last time, and it's not working this time, but you're still thinking, well, if I get in the right situation, it'll work. It's like, no, just stop. <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's, why, that's ultimately why uh, the church exists. Church doesn't exist because we're perfect. The church doesn't exist because we're a country club. The church exists because all of us need each other's help to do this. We need to go through life together and know that, yeah, God's really perfect. Jesus is too. And all of us are just like, man, hopefully we're going to give it our best shot today. Hopefully we're gonna be able to work through it. I need, personally, I need to be surrounded by great friends who can lock arms with me, that when I'm struggling with my disappointment or I'm struggling with my discouragement or I'm struggling with frustration or anger or whatever it is that I'm struggling with, that someone can come alongside me and say, hey man, you know that's not God's best for you. That's why we need each other. You can't do this kind of stuff alone. You can't do it, you can't do it at home by yourself. 
You gotta have people around you that are gonna speak life into you. They're gonna believe the best in you. And that's what the church is called to be. We're called to be a place that we love people like God loves them. And hopefully we can be that kind of place for you. If you don't have a home church, if you don't have a church that you're a part of, just be a part of what we're doing here. We don't, we don't, we're not trying to ask anything from you. We just want stuff for you. And God does too. We have a number, 972-945-9772. I said before, you can save that in your phone. And, and what you can do is text that number. You can text Jesus to that number. You can text any word to that number, just not a four-letter word that's a bad word. Don't be that way. Because there's people that want to talk to you. So if you text that to them, you're talking to a person, not a robot. And... I don't know why I'm saying that, whatever. <laughs> but there's a person that wants to talk to you, that wants to get you plugged into our church. There's people that wanna pray with you. There's people all throughout this building that are wearing shirts with our logo on it that what we say is we want them to be your instant best friends. There's a welcome lounge up here. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you better. We'd love to connect with you. And so let us do that because that's a part of the journey too. Yeah, we gotta read God's word, but we also gotta be in a community that's surrounded by people that are gonna encourage us and not discourage us. If you're struggling with things in your life, then hey, it's cool, like this is a great place to struggle because God's working on all of us. Everyone else, everywhere else, they might expect you to be perfect. We don't expect you to be anything else except you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.